Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the 90 or Nothing podcast show, episode number 14. Well, guys, I've got a huge episode in store for you today. Earlier in the week, we caught up with Dan Steers. Yep, that's right, Dan Steers from Double Dan Horsemanship. Now, most of you that are listening to this podcast out there are probably familiar with the name Double Dan Horsemanship as they are internationally recognised for putting on some of the most amazing horsemanship acts and performances in some of the world's biggest arenas. But for today's interview, we delve a little deeper into Dan's background and find out exactly how it all started for him, some of the challenges he's faced and some of the great success he's had along the way. So guys, we thoroughly hope you enjoy this interview with Dan Steers and be sure to keep an eye on our Facebook page as we are only four days away from the Nutrien Classic for 2020 and we'll be doing our best to keep you updated with some of the results from our past podcast interviewees and keep you updated on how they go throughout the week. We are definitely looking forward to being at the Nutrient Classic, that's for sure. Can't wait to see some big runs and some bigger prices for those great horses. And um, yeah, I'm sure there'll be some big nights at the Long Yard, no doubt. Guys, you're listening to the 90 or Nothing podcast show. Do enjoy this interview with Dan Steers. And a massive shout out to our great sponsors, Camp Draft Training Online and Select Size for making this all possible. I started off our conversation with Dan by asking him how he originally got into horses. Well, for me, I actually wasn't born into horses. We tell a little story about Dan James was pretty much born on the back of a horse. As he was first day out of hospital. His, uh, his dad put him on the back of a horse to sort of imprint him, I guess. But for me, I grew up in the city in Perth. And um, yeah, I talk about the first thing I guess I learned to ride was the bus to school, really. I didn't... Um, get into horses until I was about 14 or 15 right um and that was a little bit by accident um my dad is actually a a, a copper or he's retired now but he was he was a policeman up in Broome and, and my mum and dad were sort of divorced and separated uh, pretty much when I was born and I'm the youngest of, of three so I didn't grow up with that and, and I didn't have sort of that um father figure and a little bit of discipline and my dad moved from Broome a little bit closer to Perth and, and took over this uh adventure camp and for police and citizens youth club uh-huh. and i was on a little holiday with my mum funnily enough and um with another she had another friend she um went on holiday with and and, a, and she had a boy same age and they thought that we'd just hit it off and of course i didn't really like him and i didn't like the holiday and i was being a bit naughty and mum said i'm gonna send you to your dad and, um, and i didn't really care at that stage put me on a bus and and he just picked me up and that was really the first I had much to do with him. I had seen him when he picked up my brother and sister, but I, I never really wanted to, to go there because I didn't know him. And um, yeah, I thought must have thought I was brave enough at that point. And I went there and the venture camp, he had kids with his um, wife, which is, I guess, my um, stepmom. And so all of a sudden I became, went from being the youngest to the oldest. Yeah. And they had 260 acres of just fun, you know, high ropes, low ropes, abseiling, rock climbing, football, basketball, everything. They just had everything there and horses was one of them. Right. And um, anyway, the first little stint I went there was basically the uh, Christmas holidays. Yeah. And I just got into all that sort of adventure stuff. I didn't know about horses. Like I saw the horses, I didn't show any interest in the horses. And uh, my brother who came to pick me up um, thought that I would have hated being there because you know with dad being a copper there's a bit more discipline right and i just love being there and he came to pick me up and he thought he would scare me and say oh um i wasn't he wasn't coming to pick me up he was just 
delivering my school clothes and school gear because right. I was staying there because mum doesn't want me back at home. <laughs> so he told me that and I said, oh, really? And I got really excited. <laughs> and Craig said, no, you idiot. You're coming home with me. And uh, that's my brother. And um, so I was a bit disappointed. And I went home and every um, sort of long weekend or anything, I would get on a train. It was about two and a half hours on the train and go and see dad and, and that family. And one of them must have been a uh, public holiday not a public holiday, I should say, a pupil free day for my school, but not his kid's school. Right. So I stayed there an extra day and all the kids went to school and um, dad and had some friends come over and they were going to go for a ride with these camp horses. And he sort of said, oh, it's up to you. You can stay in the house or, or whatever or come. And I said, oh, I'll come. And um, so I jumped on the horse and I still remember it really clearly because I just he just sort of said, you know, if you want a horse to go left, pull the left rein. You want the horse to go right, pull the right rein. You need him to go. You kick him. You need him to stop. He pulled both reins and jumped on this horse and it was just an old standard bred trail riding horse and I just couldn't believe you could steer this large animal and I was taking him around trees and yep. riding it around and then I just got bitten by the bug and Dad had, um, like I said, I guess between the two lots of, of uh, families, you know, six kids and none, none of them rode. Right. So I think he was a bit surprised and um, and then I just started coming down there so much, I think he said, um, why don't you just move down here? Yeah. So that's what got me started into the into the horses. So you're only about 15 there, you reckon? Yeah, four, 14 when I went down and by 15, um, I'd left school and started a, a, an apprenticeship as a farrier because I wanted to get in horse training. Right. And... Um, Dad said, you need to have a trade. Yeah. You can't leave school without a trade. And As um, all good parents do. Yeah, which was good. <laughs> and so I um, said, well, I'll become a farrier then. Yeah. And that was a trade. And, and then the farrier that he hooked me up with, which was Dad's farrier, um, was a really good horseman anyway, and um, by the name of Pete Weber. And this is back in Western Australia, so people on the East Coast don't sort of hear these names, but um, people listening in from, from WA certainly will know the name. Right. Um, really good horseman over there and got a great reputation. And so it worked really well. I would um, do shoeing, I guess, or, the, or my apprenticeship for half the day and until lunchtime, and then he'd come home and ride horses and stuff in the afternoon. So I got the best of both worlds, and, uh, and he helped me out with my horsemanship side of things. Right. Um, as well as, obviously, the farrier side of things. What sort of horses were involved were there? Like stock horses or? Uh, not really. The funny thing is Pete, when he first, um, when I first went there, had this really, this is what got me into probably the natural horsemanship stuff was he had right. this paint mare and he could ride this mare anywhere, saddleless or bridleless. Like, I mean, he, he leased this block off the mines and they had a mine strip just behind it and they had scrapers and dozers and everything just going past flat out. And a part of this block there, there was some cattle and one of these cows got out onto the mine strip and, and one of the mine drivers um, come over and uh, he said, look, this cow's about to get hit by a scraper. Like, she, she just don't know where to go. And uh, he, um, he's like, you know, do you want to come and get it? It wasn't our cow, cattle, but he knew the guy whose they were. So he gets this mare and she used to, used to roam around about 10 acres and she used to get to roam around wherever she wanted. And uh, he stripped a rug off, not, not, not a neck strap or anything, just jumped on her and just upped her down the mine strip there. And he, and he chased his cow back and I had to open the gate to get this cow in. And then just for the fun of it, he just started lapping it around the paddock, like figure yeah, right. eight in it and, and, and like fast. Yeah. And, um, and I think she was like four, three or four, never drafted or anything. Um, he was just, that's how good this guy was. And, and um, so I just, yeah, wanted to be Pete Weber. I didn't want to be anything else but Pete Weber when I first started. And uh, he sold me... My, I guess, own first horse, and um, it was uh, a quarter horse yearling yeah. with cutting bloodlines, and I bought it off him, and um, my dad wouldn't help me out with any money, 
And so I went to my mum, and my mum's obviously um, not horsey, and I said, oh, this horse, and it was $1,000. Right. And um, that's all that I'd pay. So yeah. he didn't want to make any money off me. He bought it in a partnership with two horses, and he said, you know, it was an extra $1,000. So you give me that, and you can have this filly, and I'll help you break it in. And so I had to ring mum, and mum's like, why do you want a horse so expensive? And it was really hard to <laughs> try to tell mum that $1,000, um, being that was some time ago. Yeah. Um, was not dear and um, she loaned me the money she didn't give me the money she loaned it to me and, and um, that mare is now the mother of pretty much my whole Liberty team well, um, okay. and I've been a really good mare uh, she gave me a false hope that I probably thought I was God's gift of horses because um, <laughs> Pete helped me with her and I'd long rein her and this because I couldn't ride it and I did Liberty with her and I laid her down because I wanted to just mimic this Pete Weber and um, second ride I, I rode her for the first time um, bareback and um, because I didn't have a saddle at fitter. And it was funny because I was in a round yard and wood, wood round yard and I went and put her into the can of bareback for the first ride and she, she you know, pig rooted. I would, I would have said she bucked, but she, <laughs> hindsight was she pig rooted and I went for the rail. I grabbed the rail and I just got, I just remember getting like a thousand wood splinters, you know, because at the canner and, and a bit of sharp wood didn't go too good. Yeah. Right. So next time I'm like, I'm not, I'm not getting off and so I got on her and I counted and she just loped off like, yeah. you know just first ride and uh, then I, I waited and I got a saddle and I rode at that time so not in a round job just got on her and, and this was back at my dad's at that camp Mornington and uh, and it was just all forestry so I jumped on her with the saddle and bridle and just rode her through the forest by herself and then on the way home I was like I'm going to take the bridle off so I just took the bridle off the two year old and I rode home like yeah. no bridle out of walk right. through yeah. the trees and, and then I used to ride a saddleless and bridleless all the time. I, I uh, got an apprenticeship, um, I guess, well, I guess a traineeship with, with Corey Holden and came over and did the cutting program with him and I brought her over and I used to go get the cattle in with her as a two-year-old with no saddle, no bridle, take her down to the Murray River. He's there in Cobram and do all sorts of this stuff that I've seen Pete Webber do. Um, I even remember riding her down to the store one day with no saddle and bridle as a two-year-old. And, and Pete used to always put these bandages on his horse, you know, the white bandages and wrap them yeah. and, and all four legs. Like he just, he'd do that over professional choice boots or anything, you know, and they always yeah. look schmick, you know, white. So I'd do the same. So I, this, I had to go to the store. And, uh, I must not have my license. must not have been old enough. And um, I wrapped all the legs, four bandages, but I didn't have not, not even a neck strap on it, just bareback and bridleless loped it up the road and, and over the railway line and into the store and then I realised I can't actually tie it up. <laughs> so I had the money and a list for these people that I was staying with to get this grocery. So I'd ride her into the front door a little bit and, and cooey out to the, and this is shout out to the cooking up store, if anyone knows where the cooking up store is. <laughs> and uh, I rode her in the front door a little bit and the old mate that owned the store come out and I give him the list, I give him the money, give me two plastic bags and I loped her home with two plastic oh. bags just rattling down the road. And I, and I thought it was me, I thought I was a horse trainer. Yeah, and, but uh, you must have had a lot of a natural ability to oh, pick it up so I was, quick. I was real lucky, just yeah. real, real, real lucky yeah. and naive um, yeah. because I wasn't, I think, born into the horses. I didn't know what really could happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I tried doing some of that stuff with other horses after that yeah. and it was not successful. <laughs> That's when I started getting bucked off a lot Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and realised that I might need to learn a little bit more and slow things down a little bit. But, yeah, so she was she was proper good and, like I said, got, got that off off this fellow Pete Weber and and how was she bred you said she was quarter horse yeah she was old school she actually has a bit of Tommy Tucker in it like yeah. um so she was a granddaughter of Tommy Tucker and Peppy Rattler Peppy Snake just that old old yeah. school and mm-hmm. um she had bad front legs that was the only thing 
um, she was really turned in and so she, it stopped her. Um, she camped after, that was the first horse of mine that I started camp drafting and she, and she showed a lot of promise and looked after me really good because I did have her at Corey Holden so I put a bit of a cow program on her and he thought, um, you know, if we would have started her as a futurity or she would have went through the futurity, yep. she, was, she was pretty good. Um, and, and yeah, so I was a bit lucky that way but then she broke down on me pretty young um, but then I've been pumping foals out of her. She only, she only got put down... Um, last year maybe or the year before might have been the year before yeah and um and yeah and i still i've actually just started just back at christmas when i went back to wa i just started a, a two-year-old filly um by um conductor out okay yeah. yeah so how many did you end up with her that you're keeping for yourself well i kept most of them because i just didn't um it's funny i say that and i've got some horses here for Pete Kaminsky and, and he's got that Ronnie's checks, which is a little bit more high class than maybe old she's Susie. She's half handy. She's <laughs> half handy. And he, and he, they, she's just breeding a lot of colts. And so yeah. he, he won't, he won't gel them because he doesn't want to gel the wrong one. Yeah. And so he's trying them all out. And I sort of guess I was like that with Susie. Not that she threw, she threw me pretty much only had one gelding or colt that I gelded and he's 007, which anyone that knows my team mm-hmm. will yeah. know him. Um, so he's pretty handy himself. And then the rest have been fillies. And I think I've sold three out of her and one of them's to the girl that works for me sophie and so it's here all the time and, and i said this is going to be bad because it's either going to be really good and i've got to watch you with her all the time yeah. or it's going to be bad and i've got to put up with you whinging about her all the time <laughs> so i didn't want to sell her so i was reluctant about that but um and i went the other way where it is really good and, yeah and so i get to watch her ride it and think that i wish i'd just kept her for myself yeah um but yeah i must have oh have i got there two three four five You've got six. Oh six yeah, yeah. That's well, a, seven with That's the hard thing when you have a good mare. You don't. You always think, oh, you those foals will make good money, but you never want to sell you them. Don't, you, you don't know, want to part with them. Yeah, so. and no one really, really knows her. So she's more. And like I said, they make really good Liberty horses for me. Yeah. Um, because they've got to be to be a Liberty horse. I know we're getting going on a few different tracks here, but to be a good Liberty horse, it's almost like a good cow horse. They've got to be sensitive enough to say read a cow, mm-hmm. um, and also be able to work for themselves. Uh, but at the same time naturally quiet and that's yeah. a hard mix to find in a lot yeah. of breeds so if they're normally naturally quiet that tells you they're not sensitive you know so yeah. if you get other breeds that are quiet and they, they've got to be sensitive enough that um you know that they will operate for themselves and you can make them uncomfortable and things like that but then usually if you had other breeds and they said oh he's really sensitive it's generally not quiet and that's where that sort of cow horse fits balance. right in and so with her that's what she had and um and a lot of them are bred to double image and he has that too, where he's actually a little bit more sparked than probably people realise. Yep. But then he's so naturally quiet that it's a it's a good, really good fit right. um, for it. So yeah. So then, where where did your sort of horsemanship? I know you um, started off this double Dan horsemanship with Dan James. How did you meet him, and how did that all come about? Did you meet him over there in Western Australia? Yeah. So to probably fill in the gap between, I guess, doing the you know, natural horsemanship with Pete Weber doing my farrier um, apprenticeship and then working with Corey Holden. I came back to um, Western Australia um, more... Well, Corey was leaving to go to the States, so I was going to have to change something there anyway. But I'd met Pierre when I came back. Well, I'd already met Pierre, but I was just reconnected with Pierre, I should say. That's, that's my <laughs> wife. Pierre's your wife, yes. yeah. um, Back when I came home for Christmas, like Christmas break, right. and um, her dad... Um, uh, Kent Johnston, he he had a big thoroughbred and stock or stud, and um, 
like the fact, I think, that I was <laughs> maybe potentially going to go out with Pia. She was giving them a little bit of trouble at the time. <laughs> and yeah. so I thought he thought I would be a good dis- good distraction for us. So he actually offered me a pretty good job. Yeah. And so, and like I said, I knew Corey was going to go in the next few months to to the States. And um, that's when he started working over there. So I um, yeah, came back and, and from there, so I was back in Western Australia. And, and that's when it changed. I went more camp drafting. So the oh. natural horsemanship stuff. You know, I'd done the cutting a bit and then I got into the camp drafting because Pierce dad pretty much um, started camp drafting in, in Western Australia when he, he worked over here in the Hunter Valley and saw camp drafting and he's always had stock horses and things like that and he used to show stock horses and he got into camp drafting and, and yeah, a couple of people that were from the east that moved to Western Australia, they got it going and so he was huge in, in the camp drafting and, and um, Pierre camp drafted her whole life and I mean, she camp drafted from the minute she was old enough to. And um, so it was a natural progression. So I got into camp draft and I, and I pretty much left a lot of that sort of, say, trip training and stuff. I still had that mare that I talked about, Susie. Um, but I got into starting his stock horses for him and, um, you know, and, and drafting his horses and breaking in and then doing the thoroughbred deal. Um, and it was through that that I actually um, then met Dan James. So he, he was working in Liveringa, like he's from Queensland, but he was working in the station Liveringa, which is just outside Derby um, and not too far from Broome. And, uh, and he had a, a couple of horses that he started doing a bit of trick training and stuff. And when um, guests and things would come to the station, he would do a little show for them. Yeah, right. And he wanted to take the show south in the wet season. So he came down and it was a bit funny because um, hindsight, looking back, um, I was pretty arrogant about it all because he come down there to a camp draft that I was at. And, um, and Pierre and I were both going okay. Like we used to sort of, you know, win and place at most places we went to and over there and and we used to sort of fight for the western australian open rider title would be you know um and she was going through uni at the time she was she's a vet and she was in her last year of uni and that was the only way that was the first time they brought in point scores scoring over there right. and um the only way i could get around it was of course when she had exams and stuff <laughs> and i'll take her horses and go to a draft by myself yeah and scam a couple more points without it being there but anyway um we were at this at this draft and um, this, it was a lunch break or something, which they do in WA. They can just pull up for lunch over there and a bit more casual. Yeah. And um, and Dan pops into this uh, in the arena camp um, and um, starts doing some tricks with this horse, you know. And, and I just happened to be walking past and sort of thought, oh, he's this guy, you know, on my turf type thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I stopped with Piers' dad and we had a little look, you know, from a distance and, and then walked on off. And Anyway, I had a little bit of luck and I, and I won the novice there and um, I think placed in the open and I think Pierre placed in the open and we'll, then the prize given. Dan James, luckily for, for me, actually came up and congratulated me and introduced himself and, uh, and, and said that he'd heard about me up north and some people told him to can they come down to that um, they like the style of my riding and that he should... He should yeah, meet up with us or something like that and and he said could he come around for some camp draft lessons because he was having trouble at the time putting cattle around pegs and he's like i can chase cattle in the bush just fine and and so i had to explain to him there's a big difference between you know wheeling one on the flat when you've yeah. got all the time and space, and, and in, the space in the world to we've got to get that first peg right now um so he started coming home um i was caretaking quite a big property just near perth which is really handy Pierre could go to uni from there um, it was 10,000 acres. We had heaps of cattle and an arena and all that. And so he came and got some lessons there. And then I sort of started to talk about the trickles that I actually used to do a bit. And, and I had that mare there and I showed him a little bit. And and, um, and then Double Image was only young. I think he was only two. And, 
And so I got a bit more inspired and I started putting some tricks on him and, and then Dan and I started hanging out. And he got this opportunity because um, he started doing some shows like a Perth Royal and there was a big show, um, Spirit of the Horse, that they produced over there where they had some American people come over and he supplied his horse for that. Um, and there was a resort over there that some people listening might remember back in the day, El Cabello Blanco that was in Perth, Sydney, and, and then even in um, in America they had, had three um, of these resorts that had uh, Spanish uh, horse riding shows and entertainment shows. And they were remaking that in Perth. Um, and it wasn't going as well as they would have liked with the Spanish horses as far as the horses were going good. And Manolo and Jose Mendez, who were, who were pretty famous horsemen, were um, sort of the lead, I guess, uh, riders and entertainers and trainers there. Um, it was more just, you know, I guess they wanted to add some Australiana to the show and try to get a bit, bit more of uh, the market to come and watch and so they approached Dan James to come up and um, and do the show, produce an Australian show right. and mix it with the Spanish show and, and he was going to have to have rides. It was a bit like Outback Spectacular. So he, yep. he he approached me and said, would you come and do this with me? And I was like, oh, I had everything lined out. I was, you know, I was farrier, I was, I was starting horses, I was camp graphic, he was a vet. She, she got a dream job where um, the same vet clinic that was doing a dad's thoroughbred stud, she's been going up there since <clears> she was walk you know watching them scan mares and 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 we got engaged and the weekend that we got engaged the guy that owns that clinic um graham haradine gave us a phone call and um said you better um come in and and uh, see us in town and so we went to see him and he offered her a job and he pretty much gave her you know the perfect job so we were set up that was going to be our life yeah and um and then then not long after that this whole thing started happening with dan james i said mate i'm just too busy and this and that and and as this podcast goes on i'll probably be there'll probably be a few stories like this and and dan's got a unique way of playing dumb right but but he's certainly not yeah. and so he he was fine he never pushed me but then he bought this other horse and he had some feet problem mm-hmm. and he's at this el cabello at this stage and he rings me up he says oh man i'm having trouble and dan was showing his own horses with his horse i want you to come and look at him so yeah no worries i can come up whatever thursday so anyway, I go up there and, and show him what I would do and blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, let's go to the, the bar at this resort and we'll get some lunch and whatever. And so we sit down there and the owner comes up and he starts talking. I'm just thinking, well, we'll just we bump into him, right? Yeah. So we're chatting and the owner's asked me a lot of personal questions, but I'm just like, oh, he's just a curious guy. Yeah. So I'm saying all this stuff that I'm doing, I'm in a job interview that I don't even <laughs> know that I'm in. And I'm just going like, You're just going I'm just answering it. his yeah. questions. And this guy just like stops abruptly and he just says, well, you sound too busy to work for me. And I said, I am. <laughs> and anyway, he's a businessman. And he just said, look, um, put on paper what you want to come and work here and send me an email and we'll go from there. So anyway, that probably intrigued me a bit. Yeah. And and we worked it out with Dan and, and I did this deal and I could shoot, I could still shoot at um, Peter's dad's stud yeah. one day a week. So I worked that into the deal. So I still did that and I did the shows. And what it did is it gave us an opportunity for Dan and I to train together, train our horses and get paid for it. Yeah. And at the time, we probably took advantage of it, not knowing that we just thought, you know, this is a starting point and things were going to get better. Our life was pretty damn good at that point. We yeah. should have stayed there. We had, um, we both got paid really well. We had accommodation. They fed our horses. We got trained to work our horses. We got to practice entertaining, you know, yep. like talking. And we did shows every weekend and sometimes during the week. And um, we would then just, we had a bunch of, like, he had all his ringer mates in on the show and we just partied all the time and yeah. socialized all the time and, and um, had a heap of fun. But pretty quick, Dan's always 
pretty ambitious the other day and um and he was like we've got to move on you know we've got to do this we've got to do that and um and at that stage we kept everything separate we used to call ourselves really original the dan and dan show <laughs> so we perform as the dan yeah. and dan show but other than that everything was separate and i was still doing the campcraft thing yeah. and and bits and pieces and then we did perth royal together and sydney royal saw us and um invited us to come back and do the show there and um we we have a travel rate for our show and then we have a performance fee so the travel rate to go from yeah. perth to sydney and back again was way more than the performance fee and so we worked it out and, and sent it to them and they took it yeah right. and um so dan's like this is enough money for us to go over there and mm. and work stay there yeah and have a crack and so i wasn't very optimistic that it was going to work i didn't think what we had was was that good and, or good enough to be in the east and and so i took more campcraft horses and trick horses and i thought well we do this we had that show we had the ncha futurity and we had the bow desert egg show that's the three shows we had booked we were working on the beef week but we missed out on that and so we had three shows i thought well, we'll do the three shows i said i'll campcraft and when we run out of money we'll come home yeah. That was Pierre and I. So she had, she'd done this job for a year. She has to ask to leave. Yeah. It was a big deal. And um, so we come across and um, anyway, we did Sydney Royal and met a lot of people and um, which we're now, you know, good friends with. Then we did the Cutting Futurity. We did the show up at um, Bow Desert and then things just kept rolling. Um, we ended up then renting a place. And, and in between that, I should probably backtrack to the Double Dan side of things, is when we were getting ready for Sydney, we were staying with um, Heath Harris which is a movie horse trainer um, who was helping us with our Liberty horses and, and I guess helping us in the industry. And he's like, boys, we've got to come up with a name for you guys. And, um, and we're like, well, we go on. <laughs> the Dan and Show. He's like, no, no, you need a horsemanship name instead of like, you know, a brand. Yeah. And before Sydney, you know, you have to launch this at Sydney. Like no one knows you guys and now Sydney's coming. This is going to be the first time that the East Coast sees you. So anyway, we um, were brainstorming one night and, and, and um, hopefully Heath listens to this because um, we tell the story a fair bit. And anyway, Heath doesn't mind a bottle of wine. So there's a few few reds going around. I was on the beers and, you know, we'll, you, you, we'll spitball them, but we couldn't come up with anything. And, you know, when you hear so many names, they all just sort of sound bland. And, you know, so yeah. we sort of decide to pack up shop for the night and we'll try again tomorrow. So anyway, we all go to bed. Next morning, we're out doing our jobs and um, Heath comes out and he sees me first and he says, Dan, get everybody together. I've got the perfect name. Come to me last night. He said, when I went back in and had a shower, I was in the shower, name came to me. Get everyone together. So we rally out because Dan had a girlfriend um, that he brought over from Western Australia at the time and then I was at Pierre. So we, we come to meet at this little picnic table outside Heath's house and he's like, like really excited. And anyone, again, who knows Heath Harris, listen to the podcast, um, knows it takes a bit to get get him excited and uh and he comes up with double dan horsemanship and we just all just like we're just over it and just <laughs> yeah. like was like oh i guess we've got nothing better and the disappointment i can remember <laughs> on his face of not jumping yeah, for joy yeah. and congratulating him we're yeah. just like well we've got nothing better yeah and now we just love the name so much and it's worked out to to our favor and um, yeah and so we've got to credit him for that so anyway that was the start of then double down horsemanship and that's right. when we everything came together like we now we're, we're working together mm. the business is is um you so know, what sort formed. of year is this 2009 2009 yeah, yeah. Right. so 2009 and then um from there we stayed at Heath for a few months we traveled from there and then we had to get our own place so we rented a place um near Karua or North Arm Cove and uh, on the coast 
of New South Wales here. And um, everything started there together. So we had our horses there. We started a training business together. Um, and um, and then obviously we'd do the entertainment and and, uh, and try to sort of launch our brand and our name. Right. Um, and that's when, when things, yes, I guess started to take shape from, from, from probably 2010. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think it was really our our launching point from there and and we we started to really try to brand ourselves as entertainers but had this backing of horsemanship right that was what he speak the idea was and um saying you know you can't just do entertainment you you've got to have you know like a second string to your bow and and that was going to be the horsemanship right so you had sort of like a two source of income within the same thing yeah well we always put it down to um i even remember we used to have it on our brand it was entertainment education and training Right. So the education meant the clinics, um, the training obviously meant taking on outside horses and then uh, entertainment doing the shows and that was what it was and for a long time it was really the entertainment and the training, you know, education. Um, we didn't do many clinics or anything like that and didn't really see ourselves doing that and then it just sort of snowballed and now it's certainly here in Australia and even probably over there in the States for Dan it would be 50-50 for me, it's way more than that for clinics yeah. in Australia and then... A little bit of entertainment and and um, and then probably the rest, you know, some outside horses too. Right. Um, so time permits. Hey guys, we interrupt this interview to bring you a quick word from our great sponsor, Camp Draft Training Online. Are you guys sick of not making the finals? Maybe you can't put a big run together. Well, why not jump on www.teamcto.com.au to find out all the latest and greatest tips from some of Australia's greatest horsemen and camp draft trainers. These guys will certainly make the difference in your program. So remember, when spurring and jerking just ain't working, jump on www.teamcto.com.au and subscribe and make sure you get yourself into that winner's circle. When you were working with Dan James, did you face many challenges because you were living in such close proximity or had different training methods? Well, training's been great because this is what I felt accelerated our learning was you almost had like two lifetime type things like of learning. Like if he learned something somewhere else, he couldn't wait to share it. We'd be even at El Cabello, like going back to El Cabello. So we wanted to sit a horse from a standstill. It was going to be a big trick that we had no idea about, like, Get one, and we, we'd seen that movie Shanghai Noon, yeah. And um, there's a scene there where Jackie Chan's going in the pub, and he's, he's got this horse following him that he doesn't want following him, mm. and he's trying to get it to stay because it walks up on the on the veranda with him, and he makes these noises, and this thing sits from a standstill. And then I'd seen that separately and thought, we want that, that yeah. trick, we want that's so cool, but we had no idea. And we were training together in the arena at El Cabello Trainer. I can't even remember what we we're trying to teach. But the horse started presenting like it was going to sit. So then we were all of a sudden, I think we figured this out and we, we trained that horse to sit. And I think that day we might have done another two or three. Yeah, right. And then we just got snowballing with that. And, and that was, again, probably having the confidence to be together. Like if you were just doing that by yourself, you might not have been confident to push through it. And we, and we did. And then we would learn things from other people and we would show each other that. So that side of things we never wavered on. We've never ever had, a, had an argument about training horses at all that, that I can remember. And we've certainly had some things about, um, you know, some of the business stuff. We've had, you know, directions or things like that where we might have had a, you know, heated discussion from time to time um, or got tired, like doing shows and rehearsing. Mm. Like one time um, 
I wish Dan was here because he'd probably tell it from a different <laughs> way. Because I'll, I'll, I'll tell something that incriminates myself here in a minute. But we were doing this show up here at Alec, actually. We yep. didn't live here, but up here in Tamworth. And um, Heath Paris was producing it. And, man, Heath, like, a show, when Heath runs a show, it's tight. So we were doing these rehearsals with him. And we had to do his deal and we had to do our own deal. And so we did their rehearsals and it was going through the early hours of the morning. And then we had to do our deal. And by the time we finished, we come out and the sun's come up. Right, so we'd been in there all afternoon, all night, like, and you just keep going, like, um, there wouldn't be much food or anything like that, so you're yeah. getting tired and hangry, and um, we come out there, and I remember, I can't even tell you what that blue was about, but we had blue that morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, I sort of still remember, I reckon, if I went back to Alec there, I could tell you where it was. Um, <laughs> but not what it's but about. what was it about, I had no idea, um, yeah. to be honest. But there was, there was blue then, um, but that shows you how little we, we fought, because I remembered it, and, yeah. um, and we didn't do it that much. And um, I mentioned to you guys before we started that, you know, even Dan will claim that I'm the longest relationship he's ever had. So he's had a few <laughs> girlfriends in the past. And, yeah. and so him working on conflict or anything like that, um, I think we must have had a good chemistry because it never seemed to be a problem. Um, but then I, I remember I've, I've, I yelled at him one time when we were rehearsing for Sydney Royal, two times actually. One was we had to, a lot of this show stuff is you've got to hurry up and, wait you know and you'd be sitting around and they said we had to rehearse or whatever let's just say it's 10 o'clock in the morning roman riding horses and i and I, I roman riding for those who don't know that's where you stand up on two horses on the back of them and dan's really good at it and i'm very ordinary at it but we used to and at that point of our shows we do everything together the same you know we'd, and afterwards we evolved and we thought that's silly if you're good at that you do that and if i'm better at this i'll do that and, and so that's how yeah. we sort of worked it but we just wanted to stay the same so I was Roman riding, he was Roman riding, but we didn't, they, they were having to start running so late in these rehearsals. Like, I don't think it was like five o'clock we went on. So we're sitting around this whole yeah. time thinking you could be on in the next 10 minutes all the time. So you're with these horses and again, mm. not eating. And so we do this rehearsal and it's all just in front of the producer. And we've, we've, all these other people are out there and they're working on how that we were exiting our act. Or our scene for the show. And so Dan over the last two, there's a big line of different stuff like coaches and, you know, horse riders and performers. And then Dan and I were last. And he was roaming around in front of me. And they had these fake rocks like props. And he's turned around backwards and he's facing me, roaming riding. So his horse has gone forwards, he's backwards, I'm facing forwards. And he's pretending that there's a crowd, you know, he's waving and being a show pony. And I'm like, there's no one here. I'm like, <laughs> Anyway, as he turns back to facing forward, he's lined up for one of these rocks. So quickly, his horses go around it, but my horses are so close to his uh, horses, they don't see it, and they stop at this rock. Yeah. And I go over the top of these two horses, and I hit the deck. And I get up, and I just abuse the shit out of Dan James. <laughs> I don't know if you've got to beat that out. And just give it to him. Yeah. And he's, like, laughing, because he's like, how's that my fault? Your horse is shy. How's that my fault? Yeah. And I'm just like... There's nobody here. You don't need to be showing off. You should have just been <laughs> facing forward. You, you know, and I just go, I yeah. went off. So he tells that story and thinks it's pretty damn hilarious. And then he follows it up with, after we started performing, we performed the act and there was so much stuff going on that the producer said, look, we can't really see you guys with the Roman riding horses. You don't stand out enough. And I want you to be a feature because it's pretty cool. He said, how would you feel about setting off some fireworks from your oh. horses and I have my horses yeah like, like from you yeah, on your like, horses yeah oh wow and Dan's like yeah yeah we can try oh great <laughs> and I'm like no because I've got this like spooky mare and this spooky gelding obviously from the rock incident <laughs> and and I, I'm just like no Dan no and he's like no no look I've got a theory mate he's like 
if we get them going fast and then we set them off, he said, they can't go any faster. <laughs> right? So if you're at maximum speed when you set it up, and I don't go maximum speed on yeah. Roman riding. So I'm just like, he says, just try. I just said, we'll try. If it doesn't work, we don't have to do it. So we're in the warm-up pen at Sydney. And I reckon the show started like this. is after the rehearsals. I think the show started and it was just during the day. And we're in the um, at this one of the little warm-up arenas. And, and Dan's got these like pretty broke horses. And he's off, cantering around, sets it off. Horses go marginally faster for a second. And they're fine. It's his 10-second go. Just off, off your back. Just big sparkler. So and I've got it set up. And you're like a suicide bomb. You have this vest on. <laughs> and it had like this safety switch. You know how those have, they have the plastic cover? You have to lift that. Flick the switch, then press the detonator. Oh. Like, I'm talking proper. <laughs> you had to be coordinated. Yeah, and there's this vest on there. And then they had this sparkler off your head. So I'm like, I'm just trotting and I'm holding these horses in the bridle. And he's like, set it off, set it off. And I'm like, no, no, no. And eventually, I've done it. And these things just take off. I fall between the two of them. And they're tied together. Oh. And I've got 10 seconds of gerb going on. <laughs> and I'm holding the reins. And I'm doing a big 11s in the ground with my feet. And I'm going, yelling out, whoa, Whoa! To my horses, don't want to let them go, yeah. right? And 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 hold them there. And ten seconds when you got fireworks going off your back is yeah. like an eternity. And I just stop, and Dan's just laughing. He loves this story. He tells it all the time. And I'm just again, I'm up him. It's all yeah. his fault because yeah. um, you know his idea. And so I got out of Rome run for the show. He he did the the gerbs. Um, they might have been fifteen seconds. They were fifteen seconds, not ten seconds. Because then the funny thing was. So he did the gerbs and I rode double image and I did the fire whip and I had the gerbs with him because he's a bit more broke than those horses. So I did it and he did it. And um, anyway, the first night that he did the gerb, the producer fella says, the 15 seconds, you don't get far enough out there. <laughs> so he says to the pyro guys, can we go 30 seconds? And the pyro goes, oh no, if uh, that detonates, that will blow his head off. <laughs> anyway, so then Dan goes, well, what does 15 seconds do if it detonates? He goes, oh, well, you're going to get burnt pretty bad. You have to go to hospital, but you won't die. <laughs> so they never told us that because you got the 15 second one. So what they ended up doing was put two 15 second ones on his back. So he would go, set one off. Then when that died down, he would set the other one off. In the other 15 seconds, I'm like, well, they haven't told us that before we did it. So, yeah, so there was a fight, a little bit of a fight about that. Yeah. Um, but but all in all, I think things have been, you know, for the for the partnership side, pretty good. Yeah. Um, I was talking to somebody only actually yesterday about this, so it's funny we're talking about it now. But I said it's almost a bit of uh, yin and yang with, with Dan and I where um, he's really, I guess, optimistic and... and um, you know, when he looks at things, I'm probably more pessimistic and, and he's always just like, let's just do it and we'll ask questions later and, yeah. and it's just going to be all right. And I'm like, no, no, let's do our homework. And so from the business side of things, that probably, I just hold him back enough um, that things would work out and then he would push me enough. Yeah. That, um, you know, like I said, I would have been just in WA. I was happy with what I was doing. Yeah. I would have been farrying, you know, camp drafting on the weekend and, and yeah, um, people have been a bit over there. So um, I really appreciate that side of Dan James. And, and the more as you get older and you recognize um, your own personalities and stuff, you know, you sort of see how it works, how our partnership works. And even in the show ring, when we do shows together, um, you can you can see how, you know, we, we've got so many similarities, but then there's things that are, that are really different about us too, which I think complements each other. Yeah, because your life... It's amazing how your life really took a different direction. Like you thought you were set and you're happy over here, and then all of a sudden you're over in the eastern side. And yeah, and, the sh- and like going back to what I said about like I was 
it was funny because, and I hope some of these people listen out because Ros and Steve McKimbin, um, back in in um, WA, you know, they told us when we come over here, you know, just to to, to, to really enjoy ourselves and to and that they would, you know, they had a property over here and they would help look after us and and there was another guy by the name of John Edgley who said, look, because we told him the story, we said, look, if we um, run out of money, you know, if we, we we're going to figure out. We said to him, we're going to figure out how much it's going to cost us to come home. When we hit that, we're going to come home. Yeah. That's it. How is that a year, two years, whatever? And he said, don't worry about that. He said, you use all your money you've got. And he said, if you have trouble getting home, you ring me. Yeah. You know, and we, we just knew him from camp driving. He said, you just ring me and I'll make sure you get home. You know, and um, and, and you remember those things at the time and, and he probably doesn't even remember saying it. Yeah. Um, but we remembered at the time just thinking, well, this isn't a family member or anything. And we certainly had family that would have helped us out, but we never asked for wanted to ask for money or anything like that um and then it just happened to be like us going back to the to the sydney royal we just kept booking shows um the ncha show was really good for us um the people that probably you know there was a different crowd up there and then we did that i think for four or five years after that just kept going back to the futurity and and then yeah other shows would book we did you know we we do a egg show and you book another one and it just kept rolling on um you know and then we we went over and did 2010 we went and did the world equestrian games in um, kentucky which i never thought would be in a show so big so we're only one year in and we were over there for three months training horses we didn't take our own horses at that stage and um we were part of the opening ceremony with liberty horses thirty thousand people um millions of people um, watching the show live around the world and then we did 16 days of of education and entertainment throughout the show um which was alongside pat pirelli clinton anderson john lyons like the biggest names in the world yeah and we were the only probably unknown names in that deal um and that was a real launching pad for us in the states and mm. and all these shows you do these shows and you go this is it this will be the show that breaks yeah. it i don't know what that breaks it means but you just thought well everything will be easy after this because you work so hard to get there like we we had to do fundraising for that um you know we we had to get as much sponsorship as we could we um you know didn't spend money unless we had to and and um and it was really tight to make that work and we thought this would open up all the doors and it certainly did but nothing financial um we came home and and i think it must have been then 2011 we did a australia's got talent mm-hmm. and took the horses on stage there and and when we did that we probably thought oh that was cool we did it mm-hmm. but didn't think much of it yeah and then that did launch us yeah okay and yeah. I, that got like online it's got like 16 million or more views oh, yeah. people have seen it around the world they've actually highlighted it on on the america's got talent on the british it's got talent um and they've, they've used that clip and um, i was actually got recognized at, at a horse show in canada some guy comes up and says oh i recognize you he said you're on tv yeah. and i said oh not really like not in canada and yeah. he said no no you're on that america's got talent so oh no no i said australia's got talent he said no america's got talent you're on Amer- i saw you on america's got talent and i was like oh i just thought he was confused and okay yeah. and that's when i found out they showed it on that show yeah, yeah. Right. so again the viewers that we got to see that got to see us and our name um and we booked a lot of shows our facebook um just went ballistic like we remember when it got aired you literally it was, just, it was just like just the numbers are just going up by the thousands wow. um you know um where we might have like two thousand followers and and that went into you know like seventy thousand overnight and, and now i think we've got like two hundred and eighty thousand followers or more um mm-hmm. through facebook and so yeah it's a lot of that's being generated from um the australia's got talent which like i said at the time we probably would have 
thought that you know we, we, we it was just nothing you know yeah. right um, we wanted to do it and we wanted to do it on stage like that was the big thing um they wanted us to do it outside and we said well, we don't want to do it outside we yeah and take them on the stage and um so doing that was pretty cool and, and dan and i when we walked out of that we we said that was the first show that felt surreal like yeah. we just did it and we didn't feel like we did it yeah, we just walked out of there going, did we just do that? Yeah, Where right. every other show would be really quite composed and and um, not that I think we were all that nervous about it, but it just it just didn't feel real with I guess all the lights, camera, action type stuff, and there was no rehearsing, you weren't allowed to rehearse or anything like that, so it was quite a bit daunting. Thinking these things, what are these horses? You know, we know they're good, we don't know how they're going to handle it. Yeah, um, and uh, and so that probably yeah, and it wasn't like normal TV where they would cut and edit it was just it was how they seen it um, how anyone watches it online or if they saw it on on tv that was exactly how it was done um, yeah. which was which was really cool right so obviously um your journey from when you began to where you became double dan was there a period of time where you felt like you um might should have stuck with your trade or people sort of encouraged you, oh, that's probably a bit far-fetched dream. You should stick with your trade or you just sort of pushed through that. You didn't really look back. I think we're just young enough. Young and naive enough was really good Um, and arrogant enough. You know, like I think if we would have done it any later, we probably wouldn't have had the confidence. You you know, as you get a bit older and you start realising you are, you might not be bulletproof. Um, And the timing was right as financially. You know, you Mm -hmm. could you know, didn't have mortgages and, yeah. you know, kids or anything like that. And so I think that was okay. I think our family all thought it was a phase. Okay. You know, and we were young enough to enjoy the travel. Like yeah. all these shows are paying you to travel. So uh, none of our family said anything. But since things have gone, I guess, well for us, if you could say they've gone yeah. well for us, the family have all then sort of said, yeah, we didn't know how that was going to go yeah. down. You okay. know, they're all yeah. like, um... <laughs> You know, they they probably thought at some point they were going to have to step in and say enough's enough. Yeah. You, you know, go back to, to, to being serious and or whatever serious is. I don't know what serious yeah. is, but you and know what I mean. And obviously, P was, was um, fairly tolerant through the whole... Yeah, uh, that's a great way, great way <laughs> to say there, Kylie, is yeah. tolerant because she lived with... Because then Dan... Um, and, you know, it's hard to not talk out of school on a podcast, but, you know, he's had a few girlfriends and stuff and they would come and go. And But P was obviously, the um, you know, established and, and as, you know, my partner, we've been together, oh, I can't, shouldn't, I don't know, so we're 19 years now, so it's been a long time. And um, and so she had to live with us two boys. And, when Dan, and Dan always likes a lot of other guys around as well, yeah. you know, likes partying and stuff. So it was like a bachelor house and, and we yeah. really... I know, you know, in hindsight, I really didn't respect that enough or respect her enough with it. You know, I'd, I'd play up with the boys and yeah. and we didn't have a lot going on. Like, Pia was working when we came over. She got a job and she paid all, all the major bills like um, through being a vet. And we, we were then having the other income, surplus income that you would use to buy stuff for the show or promote ourselves or whatever. Yeah. And so we didn't have a, a whole lot going on sometimes. And um, I got a Nintendo Wii for um, <laughs> for Christmas, you know, and um, we would play that. And it was, yeah. and Dan and I loved that. And when P would come home, we could see a car come in the driveway. <laughs> we would turn it off and we would run. And I would go outside or start oh, tidying busy, busy, or busy. something. Yeah. And he got so she was smart enough to know she'd come and feel the TV. You know those those TVs have a bit of heat on them. She would she would know. And so when we would go away and do shows, we had this huge TV cabinet, 
and she would she could feel a hand behind it and she'd just rip all the cords out. <laughs> and we would come home and we'd get it turned something gone and wouldn't work. But you couldn't you, you, you couldn't get your hand in and put them back in. We would have to move this big TV cabinet <laughs> back yeah. out, you know, yeah. plug it all back yeah. in so we could play the game. So um, there was another funny story that, um, you know, she'd cook dinner. So she'd come home and cook dinner. We'd all just be watching TV and hanging out. Yeah. And, um, you know, and she, she wouldn't complain about any of it, and which she should have. And she um, just said dinner was ready and none of us acknowledged it, you know. And um, she walked over and I'm sitting on the couch with these boys in between and had my plate. And I thought, oh, this is nice. Look <laughs> <laughs> this, boys. I got made. And she just come and just as she got to me, she just turned it upside down and dropped it on my lap. <laughs> I'll tell you what, after that, the boys kept ignoring. She didn't do it to the boys, but if she said dinner's ready, I'd fly up out of that couch and go and get my dinner because I, I, didn't, I did not want it in my lap. And so, yeah. yeah, that was hard on her. I know that was hard on her. Um, and, and then probably when Dan wanted to, Dan wanted us to move east, like, and I was pumping the brakes on it. We hadn't been long in the east coast, and he wanted us to move to the states. And yeah. so I was really locking down and not moving to the states. And I think always, you know, I said like Dan James tricked me into that interview. <laughs> when he said we we're going to move over east, that was never his intention. His intention was to go to the states, but yeah. he knew that he could get me to. He wouldn't get me there. He was getting me to east, and then he thought he probably had a shot to get me to the states. And so that started up like that might have been before Australia's Got Talent. Um, yeah. Like after two thousand and ten, I think us being there at Weg was his deal. Was like well, this. I'm going. To get us in here yeah and it did he did get get us in he got us some connections and we got a backer over there a financial guy that helped us out and and um we sent horses over and 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 that all came i reckon yeah i reckon when that aired he was already pretty much living there and um i'll just go over there and do the shows that we wanted to do together and i'll fly back home and so that probably kept pier and i together after that it was just probably getting two boys out of the house you know separating us yeah and um and getting going along that side of things and then um as we got busier and stuff here um you know stopped working at, at that vet clinic and and um, just helped us out, and then um, then we've had the kids and everything else, and and so things have changed a little bit um, as far as that. She works from home by herself, just um, doing more friends, horses, and okay. you know a little bit of breeding and that sort of yeah. stuff. But only that fits in with with the family and and, yeah. and our business. And so hopefully, in some way, I've paid a bit of back, paid some of that back, some of the torture <laughs> yeah. that we put her through. Yeah. Thanks, darling. I know she'll <laughs> listen to this, and she's been very good to me. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully she there. sticks around. Yeah, yeah, I know. My family's always been certain. On, I think, um, like her, like I said, her dad, and um, you know, he passed away last year really unexpectedly, and um, we were really close with him. And and I think he certainly was. We got along really well, and um, I know that he got, used to think I was good for Pia, but I think he was probably the only one in her family that probably thought thought that because <laughs> she being she was very um, intelligent, or she is very intelligent, but through school she was very academic. And, um, you know, with a vet degree and everything else and then going with a, you know, busted-ass farrier was, yeah. was probably um, maybe not on the cards. Um, and I had the support from her dad, but I, I think her mum probably would have been a little bit cautious. Um, but then my family always knew that Pia was too good for me. Yeah. <laughs> my family was always like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think if we were to um, separate or anything, that um, I would probably lose my side of that family, my own family, to her. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's um, always good to know that um, the family is always a big part of your life and 
when um, the children came along, was that something that you had to take a little bit of a step back? And yeah, I was certainly, and you, you know, you know, with yourself, Kylie, having young kids, um, I was really naive to that. I thought this would work perfect with our lifestyle because yeah. up until that point, um, Peter would come to the clinics with me and help me in the clinics, and um, and we've got we do merchandise and things like that. So she runs the merchandise that staff, and we had like a, a business manager do bookings and things like that, and then we would be booked together. So then when she got pregnant, things sort of changed around, and and the, and the girl that had been working for us, Sophie, for a long time, would look after the place when we left. She would come in and and come to the clinics with me and do the merchandise, and yeah. Peter would stay home and. I thought, oh, well, that's only sh- short term when she has the baby. The baby, they'll come with us, you know. Yeah. Easy, to, you know, and um, not easy. Yeah. So that we that part, and I used to sometimes go on the road for like six, seven weeks at a time doing clinics and shows, um, and and that's really how you make this game pay is is being away from home, and um, so I'd do that, and I tried that once or twice when I think Zara was pretty young and, and even flew Pierre out in between or like if I had a couple of days off I'd fly and then that's really not productive yeah. when you're just going to put more of that expenses out into um, into your own travel so yeah Pierre um, sort of stays home with the kids now and that makes me want to come home a lot more so I don't go away for more than sort of three weeks yeah. and, and I don't even do that that often um, and it pushes through driving like I'll, I'll finish a clinic on a Sunday afternoon and my track's packed and ready, yeah, and, ready to um, go. and I'll go I um, jump in the truck and I'll drive through the night so I can be there when the kids wake up and yeah. and, and Dan's the same Dan probably never sort of probably saw himself as a as a father figure to little babies and stuff I think he always wanted kids but he didn't really like the whole baby thing he was a bit worried about babies yeah and um, you know I, I dare say if he was on here he would he would totally agree with me that same deal you know he's just such in love with, with being a, a parent and, yeah and what we hate now is that we're apart now and our kids don't grow up together like things have changed we went to Equitana last year it was the year before and um we're like our, our whole lives have changed. Like we've been doing Equitana for ten years, and um, when we were coming to Equitana, you know, ten years ago, it was more about you know Dan James. We're like, look at her, look how pretty she is, and look at this girl. And we'd always be <laughs> pervin, and yeah. we're walking through Equitana like just after doing a demo, and he's talking about how we cooked dinner for the group the night before, and how they didn't thank him for it, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I said, you sure it tasted good? Because Dan James has been kicked in the head when he was young and he doesn't have any taste. He oh. puts tomato sauce on everything. I yeah, could tell you right. something. Stories with this podcast are going forever. But anyway, and um, yeah, he, he can't taste anything. So he cooks terribly. Oh, right. So I said, yeah. well, maybe he did it not, not, not taste very good. He's like, well, oh, that's right. They might have thanked him for dinner, but they didn't say anything about how good it was and he was telling me how good it was and I said you sure it wasn't they'd just been polite and so we're having this whole conversation and then I said I, st- I actually stopped him like we stopped walking I said look at us now mate like, here we are debating whether your risotto was any good <laughs> right and I said 10 years ago our conversation was a lot different yeah and um and and so things have changed and that's the biggest regret we have now about not living together is or near each other yeah is that the kids can't ride together and you know do stuff together and we love riding and training ourselves yeah. together um Dan's about to come over here shortly and we've got a few weeks together here at the farm and you know he'll send me text messages randomly I can't wait you know mm. he just excited and I'm the same because you know we we do um obviously get along really well and then we share so much like you know we're now spending longer 
time apart yeah. he's getting to he's reigning over there in the states and you know he comes and, and i'll pick his brain about that and um you know he'll ask me questions about my clinic staff and what i'm teaching and and mm. we just yeah really um in, enjoy the catch-up but like i said the conversation side of things is different stage of life certainly yeah. change and the kids have done and we've it's um you know we're doing a lot more clinics at home and, and that's something i didn't foresee happening i sort of thought i was always gonna have to travel and and um i've been really blessed that people have supported us here in tamworth and, um, you know, we, we do more and more clinics at home. So for every clinic that I do at home, I, I don't do one away. Um, so that's certainly, and the kids love clinics at home. Like they already want to show off in front of the people and, and yeah. there's always sweet food around that so they think it's pretty good. Like when it's a clinic day, they're really excited. Yeah. Um, so that's something that's pretty, yeah. pretty cool. That's to, nice to, to have, have a have that sort of mentality with your family yeah. at home here that you can enjoy what you love at home and bring the kids up with your yeah exactly that's yeah. that's what it's always about and I, I do want to when they get a little bit bigger get them on the road a bit more yeah um because i think that is a unique thing to be able to i guess you know almost like a working holiday and, yeah. and show them australia and and um you know probably do things not you know so flat out like i normally do when i travel but yeah. just try to maybe do a trip around australia where i do clinics and shows and and take the kids and take 12 months of just doing that um, you know, probably before they get too busy in school is, is yeah. probably a dream that both Pierre and I have. Um, whether it happens or not, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So your place here at Katinga or just outside Tamworth now, like your training, tra- continuing, continuing your training of horses and doing your clinics. Um, you've also been involved in the um, formerly known landmark but nutrient sale now. Um, that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Talk to us a little bit about what you've got involved there. So, yeah, so I guess from people on the podcast uh, listening, like I was, you know, wondering when you guys, um, you know, asked us about it being that it's, you know, predominantly about cow horse stuff, how it fits over because people maybe have started to see that, you know, the last couple of years I've taken horses to Landmark and I don't get to compete a lot. So they might not, you know, a challenge here or there, they might have seen me out and, and I wonder how they have, sort of perceived um my involvement in the industry wondering whether i'm trying to break into it not knowing that you know you've come from a horsemanship and entertainment background or or now if they listen to the podcast knowing that that's actually where it started for me like yeah. that's my passion and what i wanted to do what i've really enjoyed about um and i know this is i'm going to answer this in a real roundabout way <laughs> but what i guess i've enjoyed the most and dan james is the same about having somewhat of a a profile in, in the public is that we get access to a lot of good trainers um, that I wouldn't have had if I stayed back in WA. And what I mean by that is we do shows and these guys might be at the NCHA Futurity or meet, meet Butsy there, for example. Yeah. I've got a double dot cult that's performing. He comes and introduces himself. We chat. He says, you're ever in Kingaroy, come over and say g'day. And we will, um, Dan's parents are from Kingaroy and we we're going up there when we went and did that Bow Desert show. So we went up there and I we did a show in Kingaroy, self-produced ourselves and Butsy brought the kids out to it. And then he said, again, come up home, you know, bring the double dock horse up and we'll go work some cows. And so to go up there and work cows with Butsy um, was just amazing. And, and he's such a talented horseman. I love this podcast that you guys did with him. And, and I think, um, you know, anybody that knows Butsy just knows how genuine he is. Um, and, and with the cow stuff, um, he's just elite, you know, like he's, you, mm. you guys have seen him, his training's phenomenal. Nobody yeah. works harder than him. Um, so I was actually, tell the story, I'll t- and Butsy doesn't know this story. <laughs> Nobody really. I don't know if he listens or not. I don't know if he's yeah, got enough technology. So, someone might tell him that. <laughs> so anyway, and I, I, I don't want to incriminate, but I, 
in the past having a little bit to do with cutting horses i didn't like how hard they were on them right mm. and so the camp drafting really suited me because you didn't have to be hard on them is what i saw i only saw yeah. people in cutting that were hard on them and they were successful so that put me off it so when butsy to me even though he was a camp draft he was a cutter so when he invited me to bring double image up and work him on cows i wanted to go to butsy's place to see butsy's place but i didn't want to put put my own horse through that so mm. i left the horse at dan's parents place and I only had my horse truck, so I drove my horse truck up there. And but it's like, oh, where's your horse? And <laughs> I tell him a little fib. I say, oh, I always give him a day off after a show. Just a, just a thing. He goes, oh, no worries. You can just ride one of mine. I didn't even bring my boot. I had like those Ariat sneaker things. So I think, well, I'm not, he's not going to let me ride his horses. Yeah. I'm just going to watch from the rail. So he's like, oh, we've got some boots. I said, oh, no. And he's like, oh, well, you'll be probably riding those. And he chucked me on you know, his horses and we rode all day. And then yeah. I was just in awe. So then after the day finished, he invited me back the next day. Next day, the old double horse threw him threw on and he, he rode him there. And like, I, you know, thought I had a program. I had no program. And um, I never really thought double image at that point was real cow because he would do what I would tell him to do. But I had my other horses probably a bit cowier than him. Yeah. Anyway, Butsy got old. Like he had one ride had this double dot colt just on the on his guts just shaking in front of a cow and like I'd never seen double image work like this in one ride like not even close and he was only a four year old so he rode him and then um, I kept going I, I might have had about a week at Dan so I went back every day and um, he said bring him back the next oh, I left him there actually and he said I'll ride him again the next day if you want so when we did that he was um, talking about going to Cloncurry and. Um, he, he wasn't really thrilled with the, the horses that he had there. He said, you know, but, but he's going. And I said, oh, well, if you thought this horse was all right, you can take him because he had all that dry work on him. Yeah. And But he said, oh, well, how's his dry work? We talked about it. He quickly rode him around and he only had 10 days before he left. And he said, well, look, it's not really going to give him much of a program, but if you want him to go, I'll take him. So I left him there and... Um, and Dan and I didn't did the shows without double image, which was a bit of a hit. But Dan said, oh, it's a good opportunity. So he backed me in on it. And um, and he took him there and uh, he won the dry. And at that point, he was highest scoring dry horse ever. Yeah. Um, I think after that, Millionic Chick went around him. He yeah. got a high score after that. But up until that time, that first wow. round, he finaled him. He was just a little green on his cattle. And he ran him, ran him ninth, I think. Yeah. Ninth. Yeah, I think his other man went seventh and he went ninth. Um, but yeah, still final him after having him for 10 days. And, and that probably started the relationship that we've got with Butsy. And, and, and like I said, I'm going to get around to answering the landmark question. Um, but that's what being out and like I said, the public profiles allowed us to do is meet guys like him. And, and there's been plenty of others, like lots mm. of others. And we could list them on and on and on. And Dan, same with the reining and um, horsemanship stuff that we've done. We've just been able to get access to those guys. So after that, I'd go up to Butsy's as much as I could and really try to get as much of his program as, as possible and you know i bought horses off him and and i've started horses for butsy i probably started i don't know maybe 30 horses for him over the years just every time i go up there yeah um, what i love about butsy is that he's just so eager to learn and so being a farrier side of things he'd get me to shoe his horses or something and he might go and ride one but he couldn't go and ride one because he wanted to watch me shoe a horse to learn something you know and yep. um what i'm doing with the tools and he bought some tools and 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 i was just amazed that somebody of his caliber even to the point and this is another story um about it is when um, i was staying there one of these other times he said to me he said oh what we should do then he said um we should break a horse in each 
right? And I'll show you my program, and you show me your program, and we can compare notes at the end of the day. And I said, sure. So we bring two horses in, and um, I got a double dock mare that I ended up buying off him, uh, Philly. And um, and then he had this other mare. I don't know if she was a double dock mare or not. And um, anyway, he started first. So he goes through his program and you know and shows us, and, and then I step in the yard with mine and start doing my deal and talk through it and all the rest of it. Well, anyway, that night we're having dinner, and Butsy goes, oh, still thinking about all that stuff he's done that, Dan. And he said, I know that I was going to do mine my way and you're going to do yours your way. But he said, do you, would you mind if you showed me your program and taught me on my horse? Yeah, right. And I was just blown away that yeah. he didn't want to learn it. He said, you know, I just want to learn what you were doing. I want to yeah. do that. And, I said, and he said, do you think it'll be a problem because I've already done one lesson with it? And I said, no, Butsy, will be fine. So then I, Butsy's there long reining and using my wit and doing everything the same. You know, I get on him bareback before with no hobbles on. And that was blew Butsy's mind. He, he wouldn't, you know, but he did it and he got on him. And, and now he still talks about what he does from that program and, and you know, like still now. Um, and, yeah, I just, I was blown away at that side of him um, that, you know, as good as he is, he's still wanting to learn so much. And, mm. and you know, anyone, I know you guys talked to Rob Leach and he's got a great relationship with him too. And, and he does the same, you know, he's picking Rob Leach's brain every time he sees him, picking everybody's brain every time he sees him just to make his deal better. So going to the, I said I'll eventually get back to answering the landmark question. Once we moved up here to Tamworth, um, we were only leasing where we were down the coast. That was where Dan and I were. And when he left, I sort of took over the lease. Um, it was very English orientated. We did a lot of warm bloods. We just had a dressage arena. There's no way you could work a cow in this place. So when I come here to Tamworth, I'm like, I'm, my arena's, you guys saw it down there, it's big because I didn't want a small arena. I'm a bit of a big arena. Everything's um, set up for cattle and, and I wanted to get back into. Yeah. Um, hopefully, that was, I did envision, it was a bit like probably naive, thinking the kids were going to be able to come on the road as babies a bit more. I did think I was going to get to draft a bit more. Yeah. Um, but it didn't work out because what I was doing is I'm going to clinics and I'll come home midweek, right? The horses aren't in any work. Mm. I would chuck shoes on them and try to draft them at Manila Draft yeah. and, and, and want to be competitive. Yeah. And I was just going to blow them. And yeah. I just felt so. And I had good, I, you know, what I think is good horses. And I was just like, I can't do this to you. So the sale side of things suited me because all those days that I can come home, yeah. I ride those horses and I feel like I'm preparing them for that sale like it would be, you know, a competition. And um, I feel like I'm still involved in the industry, but I'm not having to put the pressure on myself or the horses to compete underprepared. Um, and I like riding different horses and different bloodlines and yeah. and, um, and it gives me that opportunity to do that. And I only try to take through what I think is really good quality so I don't take on I've got a couple of outside horses this year but they're really good yeah. um, I don't just take somebody's horse on so I can have another number to take I, I want to take through quality and I've got I'll do some for um, Pete and Briny and um, what they like about it is that you know I do the young horses but because I'm away so much I can't overwork them yeah, so okay, I can do yeah. two or three days I can do five days here then they yeah. get two weeks off and, and so we start them early um, so they get plenty of work but over a long period of time and so, yeah, getting ready for Landmark is something that I've got a schedule. Um, you know, it's hard. Like, I, I back off the clinics towards the back end of the year. I don't start any clinics up, really. I do one or two at home before Landmark. And um, I'll maybe take on some um, outside horses for breaking in and stuff just to, to keep cash flow going. And um, and then put a lot of eggs into the, into the Landmark basket and, 
and, and really enjoy that side of it and then use the stuff that I've learned, like I said, from these guys like Butsy and Warren Backhouse. You know, I've done some time with Warren and, and, and really enjoy his um, side of things and, and then all these local guys, like I've gone Rob Leach, um, Grant Quigley, um, Hugh Miles. Like, I just love being in Tamworth and I'll go to those guys' places and, and pick their brains or get them ride my horses and, and um, tell them, you know, what I should do better or, or just one thing out of them. Like, I was up at Quigg's like a week ago and there's just something little something that I already knew to just forget mm. and just back this week on the program and putting it back on the horses it's it's, just... it's funny you say that because Paxton's been down at our place just out of Tamworth for the last sort of week and he's been poking around catching up with a few people and and you yourself have said how great it is living around an area with so many great horsemen and women and um poking around and picking up bits and pieces hey definitely yeah we don't utilize it like I don't didn't utilize it enough, and I keep having to remind myself. Like yeah. I'd already been here probably for a couple of years, yeah. Um, before I sort of started saying nah, I should do it, and and you sometimes feel a bit funny about ringing those blokes up. I don't know how they, you know, think when I do it, but um, it's just like I just yeah think that it's too big of an opportunity. Yeah. To to miss. I I agree with you, and I better myself. Um, when Paxton said it, I said, you know, when we first moved down here, we really did go and catch up with everyone and and do. And then as time went on, we got a little bit slack, and yeah, you sort of feel like oh, you don't want to impose, but everyone does generally enjoy the company and i think they pick up stuff from us and just the general talk and communication of talking horse uh it's yeah everyone seems to enjoy doing that so. yeah and i think i think you're absolutely right because it can be real lonely like i don't what i like about my job um if you call it a job is that it's there's so much variety you know mm-hmm. i don't do anything for too long um you know even the entertainment shows allow me to be a bit creative do something different yeah and, um the clinics you know you move each clinic's a little different as well as i do a lot of different styles of clinics um and then obviously you know you sometimes i'm starting horses sometimes it's landmark and so a lot of these other guys are just at home training all the time by mm-hmm. themselves yeah uh, and i've been to the places and i'm surprised how many because i don't get on the phone much um when i'm home and um and all of them are on the phones to each other yeah. all day. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. And because I yeah. think that's it, they need a bit of conversation yeah, and, exactly, and, they, yeah. and with like-minded people, you know. Yeah. So you, you'll be at, um, you know, like say Huey, and Huey will be on the phone to Phil Dawson or yeah. he'll be on the phone to, you know, some other trainer and, you know, there are people ringing him up all the time. Yeah. And um, they keep riding, you know, they've got the headphones on or something and, yeah. And um, and I was like, oh, this is a big thing. And then you know, Rob's doing the same thing. And yeah, Grant's doing the same. I think thing. I think it just breaks that sort of everyday sort of same sort of program that they've got at home. Whilst they've got a good program, it can probably be a little bit repetitious. And yeah, having that person to sort of inspire you and sort of pick you up again and get that bit of uh, motivation again can really help those sort of guys. yeah so yeah. and breaks it up that's like you said and so yeah it's um it's a great opportunity and, and that's really for, for me the landmark gives you that and you get to catch up everyone goes to the landmark i know nutrient is that what we're calling it nutrient, now? Yeah. nutrient. we're all yeah. just, it's a little bit hard to get used yeah, to yeah it's gonna be want, hard sorry yeah. nutrient um yeah. but yeah we'll so maybe it, we just but... have to call it the classic and go back that way but yeah. um yeah so it's really good to to get back there and and catch up with all those guys too and and um and you know talk to them and see a bit of their program like you know we'll pop in and watch them work the flag or work a cow or, yeah 
Um, this year sounds pretty exciting. Everybody's got a sail topper. I don't know if you've noticed that. Mm, yep. Yeah, there's a lot of sail toppers out there. Yeah. So, uh, Rob yeah. Leach, you better be nervous. You might, get, <laughs> you might get knocked off the pedestal, big guy, because um, there's a lot There's a lot out there. There's a lot of good horses yeah, out there this year. There is and, some really um, nice horses in there. You know, yeah. we don't know with the conditions what things are going to bring, but um, hopefully a bit of optimism now that, um, yeah. you know, some of these weather guys believe things are changing a little bit. Yeah. Um, so we're certainly hoping because we've got I've got some really nice ones this year that um, you've got a sail topper as well. Yeah, I don't know. I've got a sail topper, <laughs> but I've I've, um, I've got some nice horses there yeah. this year, and um, yeah, hopefully they, they sell all right and, and go yeah. to some some good competitive homes and give them a shot because um, that's my big thing. Like I'd be really, you know, like I guess you're ambitious as a competitor. Like I'd mm. love to win these big drafts and you know yeah. win challenges and all that sort of stuff, and I just don't have that opportunity at the moment. So now my little deal is, you know, hope that I have a horse that wins a classic. Yeah. You know, it's gone through my program. And, and so I'm, you don't actually um, buy through the classic and and, and, and compete? You, no. You've sort of canned that idea? Yeah, again, because you just got to get them yeah. out. So my deal is like, you know, um, Pete um, Kaminsky's going to, uh, or Bryony, I'm not sure, she might even draft one of the ones they bought off me last year. Yeah. This year he's going to have two shots. A couple of years ago, and I think you guys might have had a bid on a stylish filly. That I sold. Yeah, we also really liked. Yeah, we liked that one, but we also really liked that one of Brian. Is that one more, Daddy? Yeah, I think really? he had a good. Yeah, yeah we had so, a good. So those well, guys yeah. are coming back now, but they still got two more shots. And that yeah. stylish filly was about the best horse I've ever sat on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so far, not, uh, whether that means anything, I haven't sat on a whole lot. So she comes back this year. Does she, as a four-year-old, she yeah. should do. I, they, they were thinking about bringing her back as a three-year-old. Like that yeah. may have felt as a two-year-old could draft. Yeah. Right. Um, Butsy, I took her up to Butsy's there, and um, he ended up riding her through the ring. And he, he stopped riding her at his place, like on a cow, about four times and turned around and go, she's three, isn't she? Yeah, so, right. Butsy, she's two. Yeah. And then he went and worked the cow and he stopped and turned around and go, no, like nearly three? <laughs> no, 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 like just, she actually hasn't turned two yeah. if you want to go on her official birthday. Yeah, right. she was a December fall. Just fold. really mature. She was just, she just, just did stuff that, um, yeah, she probably shouldn't have done and especially chasing. So yeah. I'm a bit excited to sort of see those guys come back and like you said, the Bryony one. Um, as well, um, Steve Hart really likes her. Yeah. Um, and um, and so, you know, if something like that can pop up and do her right and, you know, and then it's going to take a while, I'd imagine, but if one can win the Classic, it will feel like I've won the Classic. Yeah, yeah. In my yeah. deal. Um, yeah. And so I'll be pretty excited. So I'm really wanting to put a good foundation on the horses that yeah. I put through the sale and that's um, using my horsemanship to try to help do that you know yeah. we're really conscious about the mind you know yeah. how these horses like that it's not just the physical side of things about getting them to work a cow it's like do they want to work the cow do they want to be in the arena with the cow um all that sort of stuff you know same with their dry work what i like about the sale it's the same with my liberty horses is probably getting a little bit you know deeper but with the liberty horse i work on his strengths and so if he's got a weakness i don't go and pick on it and expose it yeah. i just will work on his strengths the sale horses are a bit the same. And and not to hide anything, but what happens is naturally the weaknesses will get better. But if you've got to get ready for a show and you know that you've got a left lead change that's a weakness, what are you going to do? You're going to smash the weak lead. And does he get better at it? Nope. Oh, I haven't had him get better at it. I'm going to get a lot worse. He might do the lead change, but now he's so damn paranoid about the lead change that I've got to ask for forgiveness, right? Mm. But I've had these horses now with my years of experience of riding them that if you can just sort of go, no, no, I'm going to work on everything else and then 
funnily enough, that left lead change just turns up. Yeah, okay. You know, we got a horse that I competed with a bit um, recently in the challenges, and he got sacked out of a reigning program because he wasn't a very good stopper. But he could turn, he could lead change. and So they said, oh, look, we just want to, we want you to put the Liberty stuff on him. We just want to be able to work a cow, maybe at a clinic. They don't even want to go and compete. This horse starts working cow, he starts wanting to stop. So I left his stops alone, and all of a sudden now he's sliding. Now he's not sliding 30 foot but he's sure he's sliding 20 foot yeah, and right. he's won a lot of challenge stuff now and raining cow horses and everybody yeah. that's seen the horse go how did you get him stopping part of that was you know yeah. not worrying about getting him stopping because i didn't have the pressure to get him stopping okay yeah um and so that side of things get little lessons like that so with the sale horses i'm i'm sort of really trying to you know make sure that as much as you want to have them peaking and ready for that sale is that they're sort of mentally really happy as well yeah yeah uh, that's a big thing for my my deal this sale preparation dan has become pretty competitive amongst the trainers what are some of the things you've seen that have maybe brought a stronger game to this sale um i just see the promotion side of this horses um is getting really good yeah and um you know i, tr- I try to promote mine um as best i can and use i guess a little bit of our um, knowledge of of marketing through double down horsemanship to help mm. and um you know i sort of felt like i probably had um you know a little bit on some of the videos and things we've done on some and now i'm watching them going everybody's everyone's videos are getting oh, better yeah. everybody's yeah. photos are getting better everyone so whether it's just the marketing's got better that makes me think there's a few yeah. sale toppers out there this year where normally you can sit back and pick them you know yeah, yeah. you just go to rob leach's catalog and you pick <laughs> You picked the metallic cat colt, and there you go. Um, he didn't have one last year, metallic cat colt, so he did it oh, with a filly instead. Yeah, so. one more Jeez, romance. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, which I think surprised even him. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah so that, that side of things. So maybe, yeah, so by no means do I claim I've got a sales of it. But, um, <laughs> but you just never know. From talking from to Rob there the other day, he he's sort of come a little bit unexpectedly, his first sort of sale topper, and then it's just sort of really rolled on from there. So you just never know just what's really going to... Yeah, I just hope that, um, you know, for those that are listening and that follow that sort of stuff, that, um, you know, people like... S- the horses that I present, you know, yeah. I, I do like getting feedback about it. That um, I get a lot of feedback um, from that they present well and yeah. that they look soft and kind, and, yeah. and that's sort of probably a bit more. You know, you always I'm not going to sit here and say I don't want to have a sale topper. Yeah. Um, but that's what's driving me. Yeah, mm. it's always good to know that that horse went to a home that suited mm. it, and obviously with yeah. your um, expertise in the horsemanship side of things that's going to be suit a wide variety of people because majority of people want something that's really good on the ground and good to ride and yeah kind and all that sort of thing so obviously your training is going to suit a large well, I'm hoping majority. that they can be competitive too that the people don't just go oh well this does the horsemanship stuff and they're quiet um, and that, that that's what they're buying them for like I'm hoping the likes of you know you, yeah. you guys yourself you know end up with one of them and you ride and think that it's the, yeah. the best one you bought out of the sale like yeah. um, you know and, and things like that so that yeah. I feel like that's to me like winning a draft yeah like definitely get that feedback because I've had to shift the way um, you know that that I guess I 
fulfill get fulfillment um where you would often if you're competitive you want to get fulfillment out of out of, out of doing well and, yeah. and competing we all like that blue ribbon don't we because you don't get that opportunity <laughs> I mean, my, my fulfillment is is hopefully um i'm trying to make a product that i'm proud of and that other people like you know getting feedback that steve you know they've sent me messages and, and it's fed back through pete and briny that steve hart likes that filly that you said you really liked yeah. and um then i'm getting feedback from the stylish filly and, yeah. and you know you get that sort of feedback and you and that sort of carries you on to to try to do it again the following year and because for me it's not about really making money i should stay on the road if i want to make money um it's it's more about doing it for the enjoyment, enjoyment things yeah and feeling like i'm still connected but i'll, I'll let you end the podcast because i won't stop talking so oh. <laughs> well we could definitely <laughs> no, see you really enjoying it but, um, no, it's been a real pleasure mate and um we really wish you the best of luck at the sale and and the rest of it all and um yeah thanks for everything well, I just wanted to actually just thank you guys um, for what you're doing in the industry. I think it's um, you know incredible to to be able to watch this grow and and to see you guys go out there and, and put this podcast. I enjoy listening to it. Um, you know, going back and hearing these guys, um, you know, where they started and where they come from. And I just think it's a real credit to, to both of you guys uh, for coming up with the idea and then also having the drive to follow through and, and to do it. And, and I certainly wish you the best of luck and, and hope that it's really successful. And, um, you know, everybody that keeps enjoying the podcast, get behind you and support it. And by doing that, they share it and get as many listeners as they can and, and keep this thing going because I think it's great for the industry and, and I'm certainly enjoying listening and I'm sure plenty of other people enjoy listening. So if you guys are out there, you know, and you, you, you are um, listening to this podcast, make sure you share it and, and get as many listeners as possible so this thing can grow. Congratulations. Oh, thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. Well, there you go, team. There's an interview with Dan Steers from Double Dan Horsemanship. Big shout out to you, mate. Thank you for sitting down with us. We will be sure to follow you across the Nutrien Classic sale as your horses sell through the ring. Best of luck with them. And a big thank you to Camp Draft Training Online and Select Size for bringing this episode to you. Select Size is a site dedicated to the promotion and celebration of stallions and people involved in the camp drafting, cutting and challenge disciplines. The media home for some of Australia's best. View their full profiles and let Select Size help you make those all-important breeding decisions based on the facts. To keep your finger on the pulse, visit www.selectsize.com.au. Well guys, my attention grabbers for today's episode... Number one, I loved hearing about Dan's upbringing. It was just great to hear that Dan didn't actually jump on a horse until later in life. It just shows that you don't have to actually get on a horse from the day you can walk to be a great horseman, as Dan is literally living proof of that. With the right guidance and the right ideas, you can go a long way. My second attention grabber for today was I really enjoyed listening about the Double Dan stories and when they're living and working together. I feel like we could probably nearly do a full podcast on just those stories alone. And don't worry, we may try and do that in the near future when Dan James comes back over to Australia. So if you're listening, Dan James, we're coming for you, mate. So be prepared to get some shit on Dan's ears. My third attention grabber, and maybe a little bit more serious... I really loved and appreciated how Dan is so eager to learn. He is a very accredited horseman himself, but is still happy to go across to all these other great trainers that are available and get their insights and information and find out exactly what could make his program better. Because I don't know if we can perfect 
our horsemanship skills, but you can definitely always improve on it. And it was just interesting to hear that someone like Dan Steers, who we know is extremely good at his job, still goes out there and seeks information. So yeah, I definitely thought that was one part that really stood out to me and I can really appreciate that side of things. Okay team, that's going to do us for this week's episode. We sure hope you enjoyed our interview with Dan Steers. Be sure to jump on Facebook and Instagram and follow us at 90 or Nothing Podcast and share around our episodes. If you're going to be around at the Nutrien Classic for 2020, be sure to come up to our stand and say good day. And guys, we've got some pretty cool things happening up there, so stay tuned and look out on our Facebook page to see what's coming up. All right, guys, till next week, we'll catch you then.